This is Nomadic by Nature. This is our adventure. We're so glad to have you. On our podcast, we interview individuals about traveling the world, taking risks, and best of all, turning the world into their very own playground. We can't wait to share this with you. this episode, we're speaking with a guest who's been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, as well as many other platforms. She goes by the name of Ilana Karafin. Ilana is a world-class traveler, philanthropist, and best of all, a cancer survivor. We're so excited for you to get to know her. Awesome. All right, so today we have Ilana with us. So how's it going today, Ilana? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm all right. How are you doing? We're doing good. Uh, It's definitely difficult with Corona going on, but how are you holding up with coronavirus and everything else going on in the world right now? It's pretty crazy. I can't complain, to be honest. I think this, I'm honestly in a very lucky position, uh, given the circumstance. Um, So taking this time off of traveling and just focusing on my own work and myself and just reading and educating, I think has been a blessing in disguise for me more than anything. Um, of course, you know, I miss traveling and I, I miss my regular being on a flight every two week type of lifestyle, but, uh, I've, I've come out of this a lot better than I was before. That's for sure. That's good. That's really good to hear. So what would you be doing if COVID wasn't going on right now? Well, for one, I wouldn't be in New York. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my, my schedule on like a typical non-COVID month is pretty much out of New York for about three weeks out of the four, Um, maybe two, three countries a month on a regular month, anywhere from in the summer, it's usually more leisure for me, but other months it's brand collaborations, work, um, you know, trips for content, trips for blog posts. So I, I would have just been kind of scrambling right now, figuring out, you know, how is Q3, Q4 going to look and, and what am I going to do for the rest of the summer? Yeah. Do you have another home base besides New York? Um, well, I have a place in Ukraine. That's, okay. that's where I was born. I wouldn't call it my base, though. I do go there often, but I, I don't stay put there for very long. I'm in Dubai quite often, so if anyone asks me like where my second home is, I usually <laughs> refer to to like the UAE Middle East area. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. How is uh, that like with everything going on? How is that affecting uh, travels to Dubai? Like, is it a, a big effect right now? So Dubai is reopening on July seventh. Uh, they've been closed since basically since coronavirus started, and they're reopening now with strict um, conditions with regards to, you know, you have to enter with a negative COVID test, you might be subject to screening, retesting there. So there there are a number of rules, but it's very hot right now. And so it's like 115, 120 degrees Fahrenheit there. So it's actually, I think, a good move for them to reopen now because they won't see a surge in tourism. Um, So they'll be able to kind of navigate the space of people coming in, having to get retested and things like that. Okay. I think it's a, it's a good move. Exactly. Like right now in Arizona, we're dealing with a surge right now going on and it's just terrible. People are just not taking the precautions needed, but I mean, 
we're gonna have to live with it and figure it out from there but um yeah. yeah well on another note uh what got you into vlogging about your travels like we've read a little bit about your story but like what got you into blogging specifically or even like social media well so it kind of happened by accident i was uh i was working full-time as a financial analyst after college so i was a finance major and you know all finance majors have to start interning in like their <laughs> last year so i was an intern and, and ended up being like a temp to perm position um, so I, I was making a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of time to travel and I was definitely stuck in the mentality of you can't take time off. You have to like hustle, 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 put in your hours and then, you know, maybe retire early and, and then start kind of living life. So I definitely felt that way, but I was lucky enough to have a, a manager and my boss who saw that I was burning out, but also wanted to get me out of that space, you know, of like having to just work hard all the time and not take time off. So he basically forced me to just take a, a, like a weekend. He was like, you don't have to take a week off. And I was like, what do you mean? But if I travel, I need like a minimum of a week because that's what people think. They think if you go somewhere, you need like a week, you know, if not 10 days. So I took a trip to Dubai, actually, to UAE uh, for like four days. People thought I was crazy. And everyone started asking me questions, asking me for itineraries, like asking me for advice. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to put this on a blog. Like I'm going to pop all this information on a website, send you the link, and then you kind of, you know, you take it from there. So I did that. I kept posting. I kept taking like long weekend trips. And then one day I was in touch with Business Insider, who the demographic of their readers were just like me, like young professionals who have money but don't have time to travel who are in the workspace. They interviewed me. And that's kind of when my readership took off. My follow my following started growing. I wasn't really taking Instagram super seriously back then. And from there, you know, the the business person in me started seeing opportunity. You know, there were brands reaching out to me and then I was like, oh, well, if they're reaching out to me, what will happen if I start reaching out as well and like pitching myself as a business? And that's kind of like where it where, where it started and the rest is history. Yeah, that's awesome. And, that's and, and that's kind of the goal of our podcast as well. Just kind of taking that leap of faith. And you really did that just by taking that weekend, going to Dubai, checking it out. And it really kind of set you up for the rest of your life and that's amazing to see, and that's just what we want to hear. Um, but with that being said, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. During our break, I just wanted to say thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. Please be sure to check out Alana on Instagram, as well as Nomadic by Nature podcast. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, to get back into it, um, I know you deal with a lot of humanitarian efforts, um, but like as Americans, I feel like we're not too exposed to, um, like for example, the situation in Yemen right now. And I know I saw you post about that a few days ago. Um, but when it comes to the humanitarian efforts, like what do you, like what does your philanthropy consist of? So uh, from my philanthropic work, there's a, a few parts. So initially I started, um, providing financial support to underprivileged families who have kids with chronic illnesses. So I'm a cancer survivor, and I, the, the reason that I started this is because when I was sick, there were a plethora of organizations, like the Make-A-Wish, for example, that were just doing so many incredible things that really 
made humanity look so magnificent in my eyes from such a young age. And I knew that that has to be somewhat of my calling as well. Um, so that's how, that's how I started. But then, you know, when you travel, you get exposed to a lot more than you think you'll get exposed to. And that's both good, the good and the bad. Um, and for me, the way that I travel is really like, I try to get as much culturally immersed as I can, regardless of where I am. Uh, so I speak to people from all different, you know, backgrounds and from all different pockets of life from the ultra rich to people living in the slums, you know, it, it makes no difference to me. We have the same type of conversation. And it's funny because the values for people tend to be pretty similar, you know, like people cry in the same way, so to say. Um, so the trip that really changed my life was Haiti. And I was in Haiti actually for a work trip for my blog, promoting the jazz festival there. But what I experienced from the sense of, you know, the beauty of the country and the spirit of the people combined with the poverty was really like life altering to me. It just changed my whole mentality. So I thought, you know, Haiti is right in our backyard. Um, and, and Haiti is also so wealthy in, in just history and what it's done for the world, in essence, which people don't even really know. Yeah, totally. I decided to take my efforts there and I'm, I'm still working on expanding my initial charitable strategy to figuring out how I could best fit in Haiti to actually drive change. I did a toy drive there in December, but like a toy drive is not enough when kids have nothing to eat. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's still something that I work on pretty much every day, but that's kind of like the, the hierarchy, I guess, of the philanthropic work. Okay. And so congratulations, by the way, on like the cancer survival and that's amazing like that shows you're a fighter in all ways so like that for starters is awesome is is that what like kind of did it for you really made you realize like I want to do philanthropic work or was there a certain this moment was oh I want to do this for the rest of my life or was it all of these moments combined I, I definitely think it's a mix of of all of that um in general, just seeing how people, especially strangers like doctors and nurses and all the people from all of these organizations were treating me. Mm -hmm. And it was just like an internal fire that kind of started in me, that spark that said, I have to be the same way towards people as well, right? Because like to, to pay it forward, yes, but just the knowing that other people act like this to me means that, and I appreciated it and I, I enjoyed it. And that's the same type of feeling that I ultimately want to bring to others. So that was the spark. And then once I, once I got older and once I, I was like in junior high school, I was selling rubber bracelets. Do you remember? Yes. I completely stole that idea and did my own like rubber bracelet and raised like $200 was absurd. I think, I think it was like negative, like I made negative returns on that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so like, but then I started realizing, okay, like I could, if I actually use my voice, if I tell my story, people will want to be involved more than just, you know, piecing together outsiders. Like people hear your story and they want, they want to help you. They want to help others. So that was, that's how it started. It's awesome. And you've had that entrepreneurial mindset since a young age. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I went into business, definitely. Like, you really do think differently about things, you know, just from, like, basic business courses. Right. 
Now, I guess for us, our goal of this podcast and our social media that we're building um, is to like not only motivate individuals to travel, but also motivate individuals to like take risks and like stand up for what you believe in. And I feel like you really do that with your work. So what advice would you give to individuals wanting to make a difference or even just spread awareness? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with the fact that, you know, in order to make a difference in the world, you have to make a difference in yourself and your mindset. Because if you're not approaching situations in the way that you want others to potentially approach them when they follow you and your footsteps, then you're not in the position to lead, right? So working on yourself is the best thing that you could do, especially from a young age, like starting with reading books about none. I, I don't like the, the term self-help. But I like the term just general education, just learning as much as possible about the world, whether it's through books, whether it's through like short YouTube videos, that's my personal favorite. Um, you kind of have to change your mentality into becoming an invincible being. Now, for me, this happened when I was sick because I kind of like stared death into the eyes. Mm -hmm. And after that, now, whenever I'm in a situation of if someone puts me into some sort of discomfort or if someone makes me feel inferior, I just depart, you know? Like people might take things personally and get upset over it. For me, I'm like, no, no, no. Like I've been through enough in my life to now deal with this, you know? So looking at life from a perspective of in the grand scheme of things, this is such a minuscule problem or whatever you're dealing with, it's just so small. It's, I know this sounds cliche, but actually getting into this frame of mind the next time that you're upset or you're angry or any type of emotion that you feel that causes you discomfort, once you start rethinking your mentality and just kind of navigating through it, you become invincible. And then you become, you, 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 um, you kind of enter this position of leadership, right? Because now people look at you like you have some sort of power, right? And credibility. And that's, you can't lead unless people look at you that way. So that would be the most important start. You know, like people, people not necessarily even idolize you, but people have to look at you as someone who is credible, you yeah. know, and someone who is respectful and open-minded. That's something that goes ignored very often because I, I see many people leading in their space and really trying to make a difference, but they're not very open to hearing the opposite end. And to be a good leader, you have to be open to that. You know, you, you have to be a open to constructive criticism, but be also to hear the, the opposing side. And you'd be surprised, you know, like we all have our blind spots and we're even blind to those blind spots. Like we don't even realize that we have those blind spots. So sometimes even through, you know, anger and emotion, being able to detach from that, listen to the other side, you don't have to agree with it, but take it, do some research on it on your own. You don't even have to speak to it, but just educate yourself on like the entire dimension, you know, like don't keep pushing forward your agenda because that's how you lose allies. Yeah, I think that's great advice. I completely agree with that. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of like the Black Lives Matter movement going on in the U.S. as well as around the world now. It's really, you're seeing all these young generations of kids all the way up to adults just going around and standing up for something that they believe is humanely right. And it's, it's crazy to see, like, and it kind of shows a little bit of hope for the future as well. 
Um, it shows that we can come along together as a whole and kind of come up with this plan to kind of make things better in the world. And hopefully it works, you know, and um, that's what the goal is. You only can hope. Um, and that goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. We've been following you on your journey for about a year now. Uh, and we were actually really both interested in your trip to Chernobyl. Um, like I know your family's from the Ukraine, uh, but like we were curious if you had other experience like traveling within the Ukraine and like what that experience meant to you, like especially Chernobyl. Sure. Yeah. So I was born in Ukraine. Um, my family and I re-immigrated to New York when I was two. Um, and I've been going back there. So my grandparents have been there and I would go back every summer spending like three, four months at a time. So I'm very deeply connected. I have many, many, like most of my best friends are still there that I grew up with. Uh, I go there many times in the year. So I'm, I'm very proud of, of my Ukrainian heritage. So Chernobyl was an interesting trip because I, I'm, I had cancer and many, many of my family members had cancer and all of our cancers were different. So when the time came to get treatment and everyone, of course, the only question on your mind is like, why, right? Why, how? And we can't pinpoint that answer. But one theory that kind of has been going around is that it could have something to do with Chernobyl. Now, obviously, I was born, what, seven, seven years after the Chernobyl accident happened. But my father was actually in Belarus, in Minsk, in the capital, when this happened. And when Chernobyl reacted, I believe, at 3 a.m., the cloud started heading straight to Belarus. Like, that was the place that got the most of it after um, after the explosion happened. So, quite frankly, my father was probably breathing all of this in when he woke up at 6 or 7 in the morning. And nobody knew that they were breathing this in, you know, because this was hugely covered up, because nobody knew what this was, you know? And... Um, people in Pripyat and in Chernobyl in those areas went about their days like there were weddings happening that day like all these things were happening um, May 1st is like the biggest holiday of the year for in the Soviet Union for the Soviet army and people had no idea you know like they were just going about their business and we can't even quantify how many people ended up having sick children having cancer, having to have abortions, you know, having some sort of deformities, passing on these genes to future generations, needless to say, how many died when this happened. So when Chernobyl, when all of these like tours started happening, I really wanted to go because I, I thought that it was like a personal mission for me to really, I, you can't understand what happens somewhere until you experience it, yeah. you know? You could get very close to it, you know, but you will never truly understand. And Chernobyl was a very moving experience for me. I mean, you know, just seeing all of these abandoned buildings, you could walk into them and you still see people's belongings in there, you know? Like you see their medicine cabinets and you see some old photos because when people were told to evacuate, many of them thought they were coming back. The evacuation was supposed to be only four days long, um, but they never came back, you know? And now you're able to go there and you're literally like, it, it's just, it's it's crazy, you know? There's, there are no words to explain it. And, you know, and I, I felt that anger of kind of like, how, like, how did, how did you get to this point and how could you lie to so many people? So it was a, a whirlwind of emotions. Um, 
it was an incredible experience, but it's not something that I necessarily recommend. Like for me, it was very personal. I knew I, I did a lot of research before going. I spoke to many, many people, including, you know, scientists, um, doctors, for anyone else. Like I, I also suggest to do as much research as possible because given that there were so many lives back then, you know, you don't really know like how safe it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So for me, it was a personal moving experience, but anyone else that wants to go really, really put your time into researching, um, before kind of taking that leap. So to say. (laughs) Yeah. And we saw like on your Instagram, you had the, like the meter that read radiation. Were you required to carry that around with you or? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so the, deci- the well, no, the the decimeter, like you don't decimeter, decimeter, decimeter. decimeter. Um, the decimeter, you don't. It's not a requirement, but like everyone gets it. You know, first of all, like these tours are not super expensive to begin with, well, by American standards. Um, so getting it is just like an extra additional like few dollars, and you see it. But they also give you another decimeter that doesn't have the numbers on it that they actually use for their own like data collection. Um, that they, I guess they average out like what kind of exposure people have. Theoretically, like the way that they present it is that the cumulative exposure that you have from this entire experience is not even like a, not even an x-ray, I believe. Um, But, you know, you go into some areas, especially like I was there after the rain, so a lot of the mud kind of comes up from underground like decimeter when the average is supposed to be like 0.05 it went up to 40 you know so you're like are you sure my cumulative exposure you know what I mean like yeah like I felt uneasy but then you look at other tourists who were just pretty much like taking selfies with the decimeter at 40 leaning their heads to the ground and I'm just like yeah, that's a little surreal. <laughs> Mind-blowing. Like, because I think people don't understand the severity of, like, what happened there, you know, and the radiation and the exposure, and they're just like, oh, it's beeping, it's so cool. <laughs> Not cool, but to, to change the, the note, I guess, to go more into your experiences of flying first class to jumping out of airplanes all the way to just traveling the world and sharing your experiences, um, what motivates you to travel and what makes you want to gain these experiences in your personal life? So I I would say my main motivation is that piece of cultural exploration and that human connection. Like for me, there is nothing better during a trip than just hanging out with people from around the world and just realizing how similar all of us are. You know, and it's just, it's a gratifying feeling. Um, It it just, it breeds that open-mindedness, that just kind of belief in humanity again, you know, and just understanding that despite our differences, at the core, at the very base, we are all identical, you know, pretty much most of the time. Um, but you know, just that, that freedom, like, like I said, like just being a survivor kind of put me into this mentality of invincibility. Like, um, I, I know that I could do anything I put my mind to that type of reality. And for me, like that freedom of, of experience of 
seeing new things, feeling new things, constantly dealing with new emotions. I long for that all the time. Um, but I, I could tell you, like, I have so many friends around the world and it's just, it's mind boggling. You know, every country that I go to, I meet someone and we end up being like long lasting friends. They come here, or I come there, or we plan trips somewhere else in the world. You know, like, it's incredible. Like there's, I, there was a Harvard study that was done over a period of 70 years. It's like the longest study in the world, um, like anthropological study. And people said that the, their happiness is derived from their connections in life, from their human connections. So the friendships, the quality of the friendships, not the quantity, but the quality of the friendships, the quality of their relationships with their families, the quality of their relationships with their significant others was the single most factor that drove happiness and success and just well-being for human beings. And I, I believe it. I 100% believe it. Yeah, I could agree with that too. Wow. And yeah, and like going off of that, what what advice could you give to individuals who are eager to travel uh, and just don't know where to start? Because personally, like when like, it was like a year or two ago, I was one of those people that was like traveling is super expensive. And now looking back at it, I realize it's it can be cheap and you can find your way to do it so inexpensively, inexpensively and it's so worth it. So what's your advice? Yeah, so that's a great point. So I think it's it. there are a couple of uh, boxes to tick off here. One is um, for people that are looking to travel, just to travel, like not making a career out of this. Um, traveling can be inexpensive, and that's like why we say this is the new golden age of travel, because it's so accessible um, and because it can be so affordable. So if you're looking to travel, like when, when I was working full-time, I'm the prime example that you could take a long weekend and you could go to places like Asia, you could go to Europe, you could go, you know, to, to South America, all for three, four days. And all of the constraints that people have in their minds is just that. It's a mental constraint that you imposed on yourself. It's, it's possible to take like a red-eye flight, land in Paris in the morning, and take three days of just pure like... I constantly hear, oh, well, I'm jet lagged, I'm tired. Like you, you, you kind of fight through that. You know what I mean? Like these are all just things that you're imposing on yourself. You land, you're excited. You could, I've done more in three, four days in places like Paris than people do in like a week or 10 days. Yeah. You know, so it's really all about, again, it, every, I think everything in life comes down to how you think about it and how you structure your mindset. You know, so if you're looking to do that, it's possible. You know, people are doing it. I've done it. Um, to make a career out of travel, listen, this is not something that I advise people to do, right? Like, this is something that you have to remember anything that you create a career out of, you still have to be valuable to other people. So if you're not ready to put yourself forward and do something of service to others, you're not ready to make this a career. It should continue being a hobby. It's a great hobby, you know, continue like whatever trajectory, whatever career trajectory path. You have, make money, make enough money, let that be your motivation, keep traveling, you know? So that would be, yeah. No, I think that's a great, that would be. <laughs> no, that's a great point, because I think you do have to put yourself 100% in. I, I know you do. Like, I, all yeah. of the that you do is very heartfelt and very just, yeah. like, emotional in a way. But I feel yeah. like ever-changing you know it's it's always risky so unless you're willing to put your all into it 
don't do it or keep working on it on the side until you're ready to do it full force, you know? But it, it's very common for people to say like, oh, I want to travel full time. I want to have a blog. But then when I start really digging deeper into it, like I have that with a few of my men, like my mentors, my mentors. And I tell them, I was like, but what, what value are you looking to bring? They're like, oh, I love exploring cultures. And I'm like, okay, but that's something you love. Like, how are you going to make that of value to someone else? You know, and that's when they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I see what you're saying. So until you figure out how you could be of service to people, it's it's, it's not, it's, not, it's never going to be a career. because No one's going to pay for it. Right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have. So thank you so much for being on our podcast. Awesome. And, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. And be sure to give Alana a follow at Alana yes. on Instagram. You have the coolest Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I swear, like, if I could have John or JT as my Instagram, I so would. So I, right when I saw that, I was like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, and if you have any other questions, please feel free to reach out to us, mm-hmm. but we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Right. Thank this you. is just the start. This so with you. your podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our second podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a follow on Instagram at Nomadic by Nature Podcast. Please be sure to give Alana a follow and check us out on Spotify, Apple Music, and many other streaming platforms.